This is your host, Amy Orsno, and welcome to the Transmit Safety Podcast, a podcast that will help you achieve a holistic approach to workplace health and safety with practical solutions introducing new or alternative ways of approach to put that value of safety into action. So fill up that workplace-approved beverage of your choice and tune in to today's episode. Hi, you've tuned in and I just want to start off this episode by saying, I'm glad you're here. Today, we're going to dive deep into a common workplace challenge, why people sometimes don't follow policies and procedures. Today, I was picking up some of Sir Reginald's dog food. And for those of you who might be new to the podcast, Sir Reginald is my dog. And I was talking with one of the employees at the store. We were talking about being business owners, and it segued into some of our previous positions. Both of us had worked for very large organizations and now are the owners of smaller companies, boutique, if you would say. Now, The experience of working as an employee in a large retail store versus a very small boutique retail store is, as per the conversation, vastly different. And the policies are vastly different, but it doesn't matter the size of the organization. The organization has to ensure the health and safety of the employees. And in the retail organization, you're probably thinking about those visitors, your customers that are coming in, your suppliers, your delivery personnel. Now, when we think about that compliance standpoint, it was very interesting to chat about how the employees in that larger retail chain only really followed the procedures and the air quote checklists when someone from corporate was there, when the auditor was there. The other times they did what they had to do when it came to health and safety, but it depended on the flow of the customers, the staff availability. And it was a really interesting chat that I had today in terms of we knew what needed to get done, but sometimes it just didn't make sense. Now, this might not be mind-blowing. And in fact, I hear this all the time. We want to follow the procedures, but at work, in the real life, they just don't work. Can you relate to this? Have you been there before? Have you heard that before? I I would like to say, and based on my experience, that we have all kind of been there before. You spend hours crafting what you think is the perfect set of directive documentation You have a fantastic procedure and only to find out through observations or feedback that people aren't following them. And it can be frustrating, but fear not. I've got five reasons why your directive documentation might not be working and maybe some things to think about to give it a fix. Now, number one is the lack of clarity. Your policies, your procedures, they might not be filled out for your audience. And I've talked about this before in previous podcast episodes. You need to write your documentation for your audience. And when we think about the languages that we decide to use, and I'm talking about the safety ease language, the acronym language, 
the technical language, writing paragraphs instead of bullet points. You need to ensure that the directions that you are given are clear and concise. Now, a name that we all know or is very common in our health and safety world is Peter Drucker, who wasn't really in health and safety, but more just a management consultant. But we've globbed on to Peter Drucker's kind of some of their notions. And one of the quotes from Peter is, the most important thing in communication is to hear what isn't being said. This means that clear communication isn't just about the words, isn't just about what people are saying. It's what they're not saying when it comes to communicating your policies, your practices, your procedures, your standards. So how do you fix this? Taking a look at your documentation, try to break down those complex processes, have more clear step-by-step instructions in simple language. Consider using visual aids, flowcharts, diagrams. There are some even standards that are out there to help you write technical procedures and safety documentation. So depending on where you are within your evolution of health and safety management within your organization, how critical some of your tasks are, and really who your workers are, you need to be drafting your documents that will make sense to them. And that comes to my reason number two. You're not including your employees in the involvement of the development review revision cycle of those documents. If your team isn't involved in creating them, then they're going to feel disconnected. And this can lead to resistance in implementing the aspects of those policies, practices, and procedures. I personally, I found this more difficult to achieve when working in those larger organizations because I've worked in organizations that had multiple divisions and also the smallest company that I worked for as a health and safety manager, I think at the smallest, it was about 55 to 60 employees. So realizing that when I say small and when I say large, that might be different from when you think small and large, but The smaller your organization is, the easier it is to get multiple perspectives and employees involved in that process. And so if you are working for a medium to large size organization, part of your how do I get employee involvement is also thinking about how do I scale for the size of the organization to get thoughtful feedback and to ensure that you're getting good representation in that participation. So this is a good example of maybe where you can leverage your health and safety committee, where you can use maybe your auditing sampling techniques to ensure that you're getting a wide representation from different shifts, different locations, different divisions. You want to make sure that it is consistently representing your workforce and not just one or two people who you might have a relationship with and it's easy. And when you ask them to help, they help. You want to ensure to get them involved. And if you haven't read or connected with Simon Sinek's work, I think that how they explain this is fantastic. When people are financially invested, they want a return. When people are emotionally invested, they want to contribute. So how do you get them invested 
that's the question. And how do you get people invested? You need to know who they are. And, you know, the solution for this one is involve your team in that review revision creation process, seek their input, get their feedback, make them feel valued and invested in the success of the process and the success of the procedure. And that will directly and indirectly connect to the compliance or non-compliance of that policy practice procedure in the real world. Now, you'll have to figure out what works for your organization, and you might have to ask for volunteers, or you might ask for volunteers and be flooded with people who are interested. You might have to start out with voluntolds, or, 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 or just throwing it out here, you take a step back and you develop relationships with people. So when you do ask for your input, there is that cup that is already full or that pot that's already filled up that you can pour out of. Because when you ask people for them to to share their knowledge, when you're asking people for them to share their information, you're letting them know, hey, I need your help to achieve this policy procedure, insert directive documents here. And that can go a long way. Now, so you have this document and you got feedback, you got involvement. Reason number three, why it might not be working in the actual world is that you don't train. It's not enough to have a great document. You also need to ensure that people understand how to follow it. If you just assume that they're going to figure it out on their own, you are definitely setting yourself up for disappointment. Now, I teach multiple courses and and in a plethora of the courses, we talk about training. And one of the things that comes up a long ways or especially when it comes up into communication, oh, you're sending out this new policy, how would you communicate it? Or you need to confirm that this group of people understand this new requirement, what would you do? And 100% of the time, at least one person says, oh, I would just email it to them. And we discuss one-way and two-way communications and oh, donkey. Do I cringe when I see people say, oh, I'll just email it to people? I'm going to raise my hand up here and say, I do not 100% of the time read 100% of the emails that I click on. And I definitely don't read it, absorb it, process it to a level of understanding. And so when we think about how we think that we are training, how we think that we are communicating what we want people to know, what we want them to do. It's funny because I've had to start to say and have these conversations with some of my clients and and in these training courses is that just because somebody signs into a safety meeting sheet doesn't mean that they actually understood what was in the safety meeting. It simply means that they were sitting, they were present during the time that that instruction was there. Having a process to instruct, coach, mentor, train, and validate, that is so important. And, you know, most importantly, I think that it's also important to show me the money. So invest in those thorough training programs. Take the time, take the money, the effort that it is going to be needed to conduct those workshops, create those online modules, provide those one-on-one coaching sessions, whatever type of training that is going to make the most impact to your particular employees. Now, competency check here. 
competency check because often, and, and I say that as like a disclaimer, but often I see health and safety practitioners and professionals put together an internal air quote training program and then go, well, it's not working, it's not sticking, and I don't know why. So competency check here. Consider the fact that you might not have the qualifications in course development or adult learning principles. You might not have the qualifications, the training, and the experience to develop internal training programs. So just a little bit of a side note here, competency check. Maybe consider that you are not having the right skills in order to do that. And Part of our code of ethics is professional growth, professional development. This might be something that you add on to your docket of professional development training that you go into. How do you actually develop an adult learning training course? How do you actually develop a needs analysis for the position for that task? So a little bit of a sidebar, but I think it's important because This is an example where you might want to check your competency, especially if you're getting consistent feedback that there is a non-compliance after you've completed training. Now, the next thing that I want to talk about is the fact that your documentation could be old. It's not what's current. It's not what's relevant. Policy equipment has changed. Number of people available have changed. The work scope is different. So make sure that your policies and your procedures are current. They evolve over time so that they aren't irrelevant. They aren't old. They are keeping up with the pace of the changes that occur because your employees might be ignoring them because they no longer think that they're relevant or applicable. As an auditor, and I'm shaking my head here, this hits. (laughs) This hits because... This is something that I run into quite frequently. If I were to go into your documentation right now, if I were to go in and start flipping through and seeing when was this document created, when was it reviewed, when was it revised, what was the process of that, would it be, is your review revision cycle simply just a pencil whipping process? Or do you have a legitimate review revision process for your documentation? Do you have a change management process? Now, here's the thing. that The easy solution is to create some sort of schedule to ensure that all of your health and safety policies, practices, procedures, standards, they are regularly reviewed and updated with that employee involvement, followed up by training so that it flows together ensuring that if there's an industry standard change, how does that impact? If there's an equipment change in the field, how does that impact? If there's an organizational change, how does that impact your insert directive document here? Now, the last thing that I want to touch on, and I could definitely talk about this forever and ever and ever, is the lack of accountability. If there's no consequences for not following a policy or procedure, then why would people take them seriously? They may feel that they're there, but there's no repercussions. And if there's no repercussions, then why would I follow them? I'm going to use my own decision-making process to think whether or not something is or is not relevant. Now, 
I'll throw this into the podcast because this is an example that comes up quite frequently in just regular conversation, the blanket PPE requirements. Stupid employee, dumb employee, intentionally non-compliant employee, not wearing PPE. And don't get me up on my soapbox on this one, but here's the scenario. And I think a lot of you are going to be like, yeah, I can relate to this. So John works as a construction site supervisor for a small construction company. The company has implemented a safety protocol that requires all employees to wear personal protective equipment at all times on the construction site. But the company has not enforced any consequences for that non-compliance. John starts to notice that some of the construction workers occasionally disregard the PPE requirement, especially when it's hot and wearing that PPE starts to make it uncomfortable. So the workers believe that they are can get away with it because there's no consequences that are coming. And some employees begin to compromise their safety, leading to increased risks. Now, here's the thing. I don't necessarily automatically believe in those blanket PPE requirements. If you are asking a worker to wear personal protective equipment, you need to justify what is the hazard, what is the risk, how does that PPE either reduce the the likelihood or the severity of that potential consequence? And this is where your safety documentation will most definitely come into play. But if you are not holding people accountable, then why would they do things? Now, part of it would be they understand it's a training element. They understand the reasons why that's, that it's there. But if there's not that direct link to the why, there can be that variance. And in terms of kind of like repercussions, I am not a fan of directly going to disciplinary action. There needs to be initial training, onboarding, monitoring, mentoring, coaching before you jump to disciplinary action. And and disciplinary action shouldn't be punitive. When done correctly, disciplinary action is a learning opportunity. From the other side of things, when you see somebody following the policy practice procedure rule, you need to recognize it. You need to reward it so that there's also consistency of that reward, intrinsic or extrinsic, to know that it's there. So the options are very clear, very direct. Now, there you have it, five reasons why your directive document might not be working and some considerations. You need to figure out your unique organizational challenges because it's not going to be copy and paste from one company to the other. Different people have different things that motivate them. Different people have different values. Different people have different experiences. And so you need to take the time to get to know who your employees are to help figure out a way for yourself to write documentation that's going to work for them, to help figure out a way that is that getting their participation is going to be meaningful for them, to figure out a way to help develop training that is going to be inclusive and relatable to your workers And finally, having some sort of clear accountability structure that is supporting more of the 
correct things, the positive things, the rewarding, the positive compliance aspects, but also understanding that there needs to be that what happens when there is a non-compliance. So remember, clear communication, employee involvement, training, updates, and accountability. Those are the keys to ensuring your policies and procedures are being followed effectively. If you have any questions on this topic or would like me to cover a different topic in future episodes, don't hesitate to reach out. Until next time. Thank you for being a part of the Transmit Safety Network. For more resources and to join our weekly newsletter, go to transmitsafety.com.